Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. So it's good to, to read a lot, and I do, but understand that you are you. God has called you and gifted you in particular ways. And ultimately, as we filter through that sense of gifting and calling, and look, acknowledge, as I tell people, there's more than one way to be a faithful, fruitful, effective pastor, leader, dad, coach, seminary president. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, and today I'm without my co-host, Mike Kelsey, but we are excited to talk with Dr. Jason Allen, who is the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. And there he lives, of course, with his family and five kids who he adores. And he's also the author of many books, including Succeeding at Seminary, Being a Christian, and Discerning Your Call to Ministry. Dr. Allen, how are you doing today? Hey, Chandler, I'm doing great, man. I really appreciate you inviting me on your podcast, the opportunity to talk life and ministry, and uh, I think pastoral ministry in my new book as well. And so, so yeah, I'm delighted. It's a sweet time here on campus. We're recording. Uh, it's May, I think May 19th is the day we record here. And we've had graduation. I taught a, a J term last week, so one week intensive class on preaching. And so this week has been my first week in many weeks to catch my breath a bit, catch up on projects and uh just do even some interpersonal things. I've been wanting to spend time with people on the campus. So, so it's good. We're good. Uh, we're thankful and we're happy. Man, it's great to hear. I know uh, back when conferences were a thing uh, and now they're coming back online, thank goodness, uh, we were able to come out for For the Church conference a few years back and was able to see the campus and it's just beautiful there. So I know that it's probably nice. The graduation, just having all the life on campus after just this crazy year we've had has been great. Yeah, Kansas City, the Kansas City municipality, they um, they did relax their ordinance just in time for graduation. So we could fill our chapel and we still had to be masked, but we could fill our chapel. And that was a dramatic shift just days before commencement. And so that was wow. really sweet that we could let you know students bring multiple family members and uh, and really enjoy it to its fullest. That's awesome. Well, one thing, speaking of conferences, unfortunately, we, we haven't been able to go to as many, but we, uh, whenever we went, we always got to see your team there in the Midwestern booth. And I will say this, your all swag and for the church t-shirts and posters and mugs were always, they set the bar high. I know that everybody was always lining up with them. So I love what you guys are doing with that. Hey, thank you so much, Chandler. I tell you, we, we're blessed with a great team here. And when people ask me about the Midwestern story, they talk about how much we've grown enrollment and the other evident signs of God's blessing. Uh, they ask the question, why? And uh, I always begin with God's kind providence at other schools led by gifted, godly people who work hard. Um, secondly, I, I cite the vision for the church and how that has resonated so well with, with our constituency the past nearly 10 years. But thirdly, I say, look, it's the team. I mean, God has blessed us with, with an incredible group of gifted, godly, faithful, imaginative, industrious, et cetera, et cetera, people. And they always tend to overperform. And look, I rejoice in that. <laughs> I do. I'm grateful for that. And it's sweet to be a part of them, sweet to get to lead them. And so those conferences are, are fun, both those we host here and those we participate yeah. in. And I just like, look, I, I'm a pastor. I pastored for 10 years and interim pastor beyond that. And um, it's just, I take real joy and just blessing 
those engaged in local church ministry. Mm-hmm. And so we try to not only build everything around, you know, what's, what's a, um, you know, how, how can we be most market savvy? That's not irrelevant, but it's really not about how can we point everyone back to us from a market standpoint, but man, how can we have pastors leave our campus, leave conferences, leave our booth and just feel like Midwestern seminary, they are indeed for the church. Like they're seeking to bless those who serve the church. I love that. And I mean, it definitely has resonated. I know a lot of people are grateful for you all. So thank you for, for leading out in that way. Well, let's hop into the questions here. And I'm excited because just as you said, Midwestern has had a season of growth and there's just so much happening there in Kansas City. So let's, let's just start with this question. Can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years that have led you to where you are today? Sure. So I'm from Mobile, Alabama, and on the Gulf Coast. My wife, Karen, and I both are from there. Um, I graduated from college in 1999. I was a political science major, anticipating law school as I entered college. Uh, Though I was reared in a Christian home, I became a believer not until my freshman year in college. And then Mm. kind of sophomore, junior, senior year, not understanding what all this meant, not even thinking of it in this way, but was really processing a call to ministry over about two to three years. Um, I met my wife when I was a junior in college. We got married as soon as we could, which was just a few weeks after I graduated. She saw another year in college, served on staff at Dolphin Baptist Church in Mobile for three years, both the end of my college time and then out of college and had a, a sweet three years there of ministry formation. Moved off to seminary in 2001, uh, my wife and I did, and we were in the Louisville area for 11 years from 01 okay. to 12. Did the MDF degree, did the PhD degree, pastored a couple churches in, in the area, loosely defined, and then um, found myself serving in roles at Southern Seminary, uh, most especially in January of 2006, well, really December of 2005. Uh, Dr. Moeller called me, the president at Southern Seminary, and invited me to uh, have a conversation with him about serving as uh, his chief of staff. Then it was um, actually labeled executive assistant, but kind of a chief of staff role, leading the president's office and interfacing with other divisional heads on campus. And and I we felt God calling us to do that. So I stepped in that role in January of 06 and served in it until until summer of 2009, when then I stepped over to being vice president for institutional relations and oversaw uh, alumni and development and student ambassadors, things like that. And uh, as I did, I also was getting to teach, which was an added blessing. And I was pastoring as well in the Louisville area. So I had a lot going on. We were having like an annual sure. child in. <laughs> we had, <laughs> yeah. we had, when our fifth child was born, we had five kids, five and under. And so, wow. so we were just like one big happy family in Louisville, not looking to leave, have a resume, mm. just, just serving. And the Western Seminary's search committee reached out to me in the May of 2012. And that was a process that unfolded you know, from May to October, ultimately when the board voted to call me. And it was a sweet, but uh, but certainly intense and, and in some ways anxiety inducing uh, five, six months we were in there. And God just made it really clear he was calling us to do it. And a part of that was my, my vision and my, let me back up, my passions in life over the preceding years was a passion and love for theological education, a passion and love for the local church. And, and so I always thought, man, I love serving at Southern Seminary. If I ever leave here, it's probably going to be to go be pastor somewhere. Yeah, but what I found out, no, God was calling me to a different P word, president here. But but as I could visit with the search committee and the trustees about what I would do with the place, I was really really clear about what is it like for Samaria to be fanatically committed to the local church, and that vision for the church really began to take shape on the front end of my coming. Frankly, and the trustees were saying yes to a young man, but probably more importantly, they're saying yes to a vision, and uh, and that's what they got. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned the uh, like the young leader demographic, you're whatever, 18 to 35. And I smile thinking I once fit that demographic <laughs> when I came here. 
I, yeah. I, I'm in my ninth year. I no longer qualify for the 18 to 35 grouping. Hey, there you go. Well, you know, you took over uh, and, we're, you know, you're around that age right when you took over the presidency. I know you said, hey, it was the vision during that search committee discussion that really led to probably both you and the Midwestern search team saying, hey, I think this is the right fit. But as you were saying, you know, you serve in these different roles. You thought pastoral ministry might be next. What did it look like taking you? You were kind of second in command. Uh, you were serving on somebody else's staff. What did that transition look like moving from, you know, you were serving underneath another president and carrying out their vision to saying, hey, it's now my turn to, to step in and to steward this role of president and start implementing this vision. What were some of the learnings that you took away from that? Yeah, well, first of all, look, I have a love-hate relationship with just the leadership phenomenon slash movement slash uh, institutional academic genre that we now have. And I love Mm -hmm. it because I am a leader and I want to lead well and I benefit from so much of the books, magazines, podcasts, materials, conferences, et cetera, et cetera. The hate is it's so become a thing unto itself um, Mm. that I feel like it's been over torqued a bit. My basic theory is that we all should be growing in our leadership abilities, especially those who lead. Uh, But also acknowledging that a lot of leadership is intuitive. Why am I how I am and who I am? A part of that spiritual formation and growth. A part of that is parental formation. Part of that is the family context I was in. Other contributing factors from the Boy Scouts to, you know, athletics as a kid and uh, and to, you know, my studies, friends, older brothers, all that comes into play. Um, But for me, looking back on my life now, um, it, it just, it's like, I have always found myself in context where either I was leading or I wanted to be leading mm. or I was kind of preparing to lead. And again, not thinking of it that in that, that, that tidily or that neatly, yeah. but that was, so, so for some reason, when I was 12 years old, I was a kid taking like the shot at the end of the game, we're down by one point. Right. Yep. And so whatever, how, whatever's going on there, there was that desire mm-hmm. and that opportunity was taking place. So for me, like I did serve as assistant to the pastor for three years of mobile in college and out of college. But like when I was in seminary, I just had the desire to pastor, not to spend eight years being a student pastor or associate pastor, nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, I rejoice in those colleagues and colleagues who served me in those roles, but I just had the desire to, to lead. And so for me, uh, at the same time though, look, if you're going to play second fiddle to someone, uh, it, it's always more enjoyable, more manageable, and more fruitful if you're playing second fiddle to a, a really gifted first fiddle. And mm-hmm. so uh, to, to take that out of the music realm, look, I, I enjoyed serving with Dr. Moeller. Uh, he was very obviously a very gifted leader. He was very kind to me, very thoughtful. We we have an incredibly close relationship to this day. We talked yesterday. You know, I hear from him or he hears from me You know, more days than not via text or email or phone call or something. And so it wasn't, Chandler, it wasn't like, okay, Jason, I'm going to visit with you every Thursday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. and I'm going to train you to be a leader. It wasn't. It was far more caught than taught, but just being around leadership, making decisions, um, working through processes, thinking through organizational structures, all that's just happening day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. And you find yourself not even realizing at the point in time of kind of building this catalog mm-hmm. of wisdoms, of, of wisdom, of prudence, of, of awarenesses, of instincts, of insights um, and so forth. I love that. And I, it, it really is. I, I like the way you say it. it's the sum of, you know, who you are. And if you try to, like you're talking about leadership theory, if you just read all these books and you say, I'm just going to be what I read, 
you're not going to be right. yourself. You, and you you're know, a very conflicted life because yeah. there are a lot of different books that on leadership, there are good books that, that, that propose, you know, if not different, sometimes altogether different, you know, diametrically opposed theories and approaches. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, you know, and so it's good to, to read a lot and I do, but understand that you are you, God has called you and gifted you in particular ways. And ultimately as we filter through that sense of gifting and calling and look, acknowledge, as I tell people, there's more than one way to be a faithful, fruitful, effective pastor, leader, dad, coach, seminary president. And so I serve in a Southern Baptist context where there are six Southern Baptist seminaries, six leaders. I know all those men very well. They're dear colleagues, dear brothers, dear friends. All of us are a little different and all of us lead in different ways. All of us have different strengths and emphases. All of us have faculties that are, that are yes, very similar theologically, but slightly different. All of our schools have slightly different cultures, slightly different, you know, mission statements, slightly different vibes. And, um, and, and God, you know, in different times and places and seasons in Southern Baptist life and in theological education has chosen to bless different leaders, different institutions in different ways, but there's more than one way to faithfully lead. Mm. I think that's very helpful to hear. And I hope somebody listening probably even needs to hear that and saying, Hey, I'm free to be who I am. I don't need to be the person, even, even as you were looking up to, to Dr. Moeller, you didn't have to be exactly Dr. Moeller. You know, you took learnings from him and could make it your own. I want to, you know, going back as you look over your, your life, especially as a young leader, can you look to a pivotal moment that happened that maybe changed your life and leadership? Yeah, I, I would say, I think you, you phrased the question as young life. So I would take, you know, th- that meaning pre-college, kind of high school, middle school. Um, I grew up with two older brothers who are, who are very accomplished. They both own their own businesses, great husbands, dads, great, great, uh, you know, great, great followers of Christ. And so I really love and cherish and respect them. Um, but so I'm, as a kid, they're six and eight years older. So I'm always trying to kind of, in some ways, you know, uh, meet their expectations in some ways, exceed them in some ways, you know, survive <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the hazing they're giving me, but a real affection to develop from a very young age with them and for them that kind of had me always kind of yearning for more to achieve, to accomplish. My father was very intentional in that regard. He, he, he was very um, driven towards us and wanted to us give and be and realize our very best athletically, academically, and so forth. So I didn't realize that I was being wired in a way that achievement and ambition and drivenness were just second nature. Hmm. And so I'll, I'll be brief here, but I'll, I'll give you a little vignette that that, that is illustrative. Um, so let me, let me, let me, let me say one thing. And I'll get back to that. So for yeah. me, I remember my dad, my dad having a conversation with me when I was like 13 years old. Um, you know, you, you, you want to be a basketball player? Yes, sir. You want to be a college basketball player? Yes, sir. Well, you realize your brothers who might then my youngest, my, my middle brother who's six years older was developing into something of a college basketball star. And he said, uh, he said, my dad said, you don't like walk on the basketball court when you're 18 and become a college basketball player. It actually, it starts right now in the weight room, in the backyard, training, practicing, working hard. And that was a triggering conversation for me that I really, for the first time in my life at the age of 13, began to take sports seriously. And I saw this catabolic effect that I come back like in the summer and other kids that were about my same age and roughly same skill set. I had really leaped ahead of because I'd worked hard for two or three months. And that really fueled a sense of, man, if I work hard, I can achieve. And then mm. I was a little, a little, then about that time, you know, began to take my score more seriously as well. And so that conversation was pivotal. Now, a very brief vignette. So yeah. when I was elected here, or when I was called here, when the search committee said, Dr. Allen, you're our candidate, uh, we're going to bring you for the board and the trustee meeting next month. But there are four remaining things are outstanding. 
What's that? Well, the first was a, what was referred to as um, an executive physical. We have to go in and like for a person in a public leadership position, you have an executive physical because it would not be good for the college president and six weeks later find out, you know, I got cancer or something. And mm-hmm. so, so they want to make sure you're physically up to the job. Secondly, a financial background check to make sure you know, you've been financially prudent, you know, you're not uh, having something that's uh, not appropriate there. Thirdly, uh, a, a, um, criminal, criminal background check, which I was feeling pretty good about that. I thought I passed that. Okay. And I did. But fourthly was kind of the curveball. They said um, a site, an executive psychological evaluation. Mm. And I was like, Oh goodness, what is this going to be? You know? Well, so it's like an, it's like an eight hour undertaking for me. It's not, it's, it's like, not something you sign up for voluntarily. Oh my goodness. <laughs> intense eight hours of my life Chandler. I'm wow. you, it was so intense. And so I, I had no idea what to expect. It's like, if they, you know, and I'm, of course I'm going to be honest. I remember joking my wife, like if they asked me if I was spanked as a kid, if I answer yes, they're probably going to include I'm, I'm a harsh, you know, personality. <laughs> if I answer no, they're going to assume I'm, I'm self-centered and you know, spoiled and narcissistic. Well, anyway, I go into this thing, and again, it's the most intense eight hours of my life. But they begin with with like saying, "Dr. Allen, we want you to please have a seat. We're going to read you a story." And like they read me this whatever five page story. I'm listening, and no, no idea where it's going. Well, then then they say, "Okay." In the story, we began by talking about a person going shopping. What type of car was he driving? Want to know my, my powers of recollection. And so mm. I'm like, what, what does that have to do with like a psychological evaluation? Well, anyway, it, it was the most strange, bizarre eight hours of my life and intense. But it ended with when they gave me a summary statement and they said, we would define your childhood as uh, an achievement oriented childhood. I was like, mm. what does that mean? That your family prioritized achieving things, hitting goals. Um, and, and that is now like developed into you. That's who you are. And, and like yeah. for like, so, so it's like for the first time in my life, I understood like who I am and how I was wired. And it's yeah. so funny because like, that's right. That's my life. I mean, as a kid, you know, we had, I tell people we had junior achievement, junior better get out and achieve something. Yeah. <laughs> that's how my childhood was. But anyway, uh, you asked about the formation experiences. Yeah. That, 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 that's kind of significant, you know, a contributor to who I am. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I mean, even as you're talking about that, well, first off, we talk about, we talk about personality tests on this podcast a lot, uh, shared before I'm an Enneagram three. Um, you know, whether you love or hate the Enneagram, it it is somewhat helpful. And a three is known as an achiever. So I totally understand where you're coming from in that. Probably you probably lined up close to that as well. It sounds like, but as you were sharing that, my first instinct was, there's sometimes, especially in ministry, where achievement and us trying, we're almost trying to validate our own worth before the Lord and even in our own ministry and say, I have to achieve to be successful. That's, I need to do this in order to be valuable or worthy of God's love. So for somebody who, because I think there are, there's beauty in that and it definitely allows us to strive and, and really, you know, kind of the term right now is hustle. Um, but what, what advice would you share kind of to say, Hey, achievement is great, but here, here's how to protect yourself from going to the extreme of this. Yeah. I, look, I think you have to be very careful. And I talked with our guys here and we've had some pretty, um, thoughtful conversations, even as a leadership team here about ambition. Okay. And I've told our guys, look, I think how, how a man handles his own ambition Mm. is one of the most important aspects of his life. And I say, man, women that have ambition 
also, of course. But for me, I, this conversation has been around some of my male colleagues as we've had some more earnest kind of heart probing conversations. And uh, and the way we talk of it here is is uh, channeled drivenness or channeled ambition. And so, first of all, I do think we need to handle our ambition. We need to redeem it. At first, I think we should have ambition. I, I, I think like if if you if a person fundamentally doesn't have any ambition in life, then I question their their basic belief system. Mm. And so, I don't mean ambition that I got to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, or you know, marry a beautiful woman, or you know, win the rec, rec softball league. I don't mean those kind of artifacts of ambition. But I mean something within you that's motivating you to accomplish something for the cause of Christ. Yeah. First and foremost. So you, you want to impact the kingdom for Christ, the world for Christ, the church for Christ. So I want that. And I want to sense that. So for me, like, I, you know, I don't, I, if I were to hire a person or interview a person and they struck me as fundamentally unambitious, like that would be a problem. Like, I would not see that as a spiritual virtue. Mm. So I hope a person is sitting up in their seat. I hope a person has some sense of, I, I hope to accomplish this in my life or I hope to, cultivate these things in my children. I hope to realize these outcomes in my, in my ministry pursuit. But, but again, if a person is just like foaming at the mouth and it's all about ambition and accomplishment mm. achievement, that, that would signal the alarm of the other extreme. So we talk about driven ambition. We talk about uh, channeled, uh, channeled ambition, channeled driven store. How do you redeem that? How do you, how do you, how do you appropriate that concept in your particular context as a family, um, as a church ministry setting, or even a corporate business setting? And, and look, and there, depending upon where you are, will define, will determine how you answer that question. But it's something you have to wrestle with. So here at the institution, we talk about, okay, our goal is not to, you know, um, it's not, we, we talk about our goal is not to be bigger than seminary X. It's not. Our goal is to how do we train as many pastors and missionaries and church planners for the church as we possibly can with the resources God has given us and as effectively and fruitfully as we can with the resources God has given us. So we talk about that. And so because a lot of schools, for instance, to take this into a theological or, edu or higher a theological context or higher education context, like their number one goal is to be as big as we can. Well, OK, that can, first of all, lead to mission, doctrinal drift, yep. big, big time. Yep. Second of all, that can lead to unhealthy outcomes with your own people, burnout, or that you subtly incentivize that outcome in such a way you begin to bend their motives in unhealthy ways. Thirdly, that can lead to an unhealthy rapport with other sister agencies or institutions who ought to be, in a, in, especially in the ministry setting, friends and co-laborers and gospel partners. Fourth, that can lead to really bad institutional outcomes from, from a financial organizational standpoint. I mean, if you just would say, we got to grow, 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 be as big as we can, big as we can, as big as we can, got to be bigger than them, bigger than them, bigger than them. But you can find yourself spending good money after bad, and you can be actually weakening your institution, even from a pragmatic standpoint, um, not strengthening it by chasing some of these strange goals, unhealthy goals. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that answer. And uh, recently I read a book by Dave Harvey called Rescuing Ambition. And if you're sure. listening to this and you're looking for, maybe that's something you're struggling with. And maybe you're like, I had this ambition. I feel like this might not be healthy. I mean, even just the first chapter in that book is just laying the groundwork of saying, hey, this is ambition is something that is healthy and you should chase after it. And just as you were saying, Dr. Allen is like, I love the channeled drivenness or channeled ambition is, is just very helpful distinction there. And it's something that we shouldn't run away from. It's actually something we should press into, but check our motives. It. 
Yeah, yeah. redeem it. Yeah, so helpful. Well, hey, before we get to our next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. No matter how many people you have on staff at your church, there's only so much you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is essential for churches, as most of your church's success lies in its ability to lean into and leverage resources for optimum performance. And thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay is an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, and they have successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash Lifeway for your free download. Dr. Allen, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Oh, man, I hate these questions. Uh, (laughs) Choose your favorite book over the past X amount of years. Well, let me tell you this. Let me try to throw some things out here collectively. First of all, from leadership over the years, both before Midwestern Seminary, but just kind of as an adult, um, I probably learned about most by reading biographies Mm. of Christian leaders, of military leaders, political leaders, just leaders. I totally agree and, with that. And yeah. I love, I, mean, I, I am always reading biographies and some of it, you know, there's some good stuff you learn, some bad stuff you learn, you know? And so that, that's the main thing I would say. Right. Uh, secondly, I, 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 again, I, I do consume a lot by way of publications. I read the Harvard business review mm-hmm. magazine, um, the Harvard business review and, and the associated kind of publishing uh, I don't call it ministry, but publishing efforts they have um, are very helpful. Everything from hiring to dismissing to business models to uh, giving personnel review feedback. So if you're here and you're in ministry or you find yourself having to to lead someone, I, mean, I had a conversation with someone the other day who's very gifted, and um, they but they literally have never had to lead lead a person in their life, but they're like mm-hmm. off the charts gifted. Okay, and I know them, I care about them, but they have never had an employee report to them in their life. And, um, and they're like, and they're almost feeling bad. Like I said, no, these are like natural questions you're asking. How do I give feedback? Like, how do I, how do I convey like frustrations in a way that's helpful? Mm. And I, I gave them some talking points and some of my personal notes I have, but, uh, I point, I gave them, them that, that some Harvard business review of these different, just little books they have about dealing with all these things. Yeah. Over the years, uh, I've, I've appreciated Peter Drucker's writings. The fact that exactly was very helpful about you know, learning yourself, your leadership style, um, I, you know, I have found over the years some of the Michael Hyatt stuff helpful. Um, that some of uh, Craig Rochelle podcast on leadership. I've listened to it occasionally. Have found it helpful. So I'm just throwing out a, a few things here that come to mind in this in this conversation, Chandler. Yeah, no, I with biographies. I probably five years ago I decided I wanted to read a biography of every president. And I'm not really big into politics, but I just love that the way that they lead. And when you said, I've, I've learned the most from reading biographies, I mean, Winston Churchill, FDR, I mean, you just, I just finished Richard Nixon. So you talk about the bad, yeah. you know, you, the good and the bad, but you learn so much about how to deal with situations and, and it just gives you a greater context of how to lead. I really appreciate that. 
Yeah, look, I've read multiple biographies on those individuals you mentioned. I will go back to Nixon because Nixon is one of the individuals who advocates for reading biographies to learn to lead. So he learned much, uh, oddly enough, and he talks about this from uh, the 19th century British premier, uh, Benjamin Disraeli. And, mm. uh, and so that was a part of, you know, not all the uh, scandalous side <laughs> right. of behavior, yeah, yeah. but as far as some of the organizational leadership and, and even wanting to operate as a, as a uh, figure on the world stage. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you as well, and um, two, two additional words here. One is we have to remember that leadership is always contextual. Mm. That's probably the biggest lesson to keep in mind. Leadership is always contextual. Where you serve and thus where you leave, lead is always different than anyone else leading anywhere else. Even they both can be churches of 100 people in rural America. I mean, everything about it can look identical to the next place, but it's actually different. The people there, the needs there, the opportunities there. You're different every place. Your seasons are different. Your time commitments are, are lack of are different. I mean, if you got five kids, as I did, you know, 10 years ago, who all went to bed by 8 p.m., that was different. Now I got five kids ages 12 to 18. And uh, it's glorious. It's been no less enjoyable. In fact, it's more enjoyable at the stage of life. But now they stay up late. Yeah. And they want to talk. <laughs> and we have conversations. And my, they, they all have activities after school events. Mm. And so there's just a time commitment is different. So know that leadership is contextual. The other thing I would say before I, I toss the ball back to you for your next question yeah. is if you find yourself brushing shoulders with, um, with, with leaders and like a kind of person that like, I would love to hear his thoughts on leadership, you know, this pastor, that, 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 you know, institutional leader, I would encourage you to ask them questions like, um, what are you learning lately about leadership or what have you learned lately? Or what are you thinking these days about leadership because guys like me, man, you're always learning and you're, there's always mm-hmm. different lessons you're thinking about. And you're, and again, it, that's kind of a moving target as to what I need to be doing and thinking and, 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 and initiating as a leader. Mm. All right. Let's, what are you learning about leadership lately, Dr. Allen? Yeah. I mean, I, I really wasn't <laughs> teeing you up for that. No. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested to hear. I'll tell you, I, I think, um, I am increasingly observant about life stages and I can't have an intimate knowledge with every employee on this campus. Yeah. Nor can I like engineer us from a HR standpoint around life occurrences. So for instance, I can't say, um, Jimmy spouse is about to have a baby. So we need to give him a $10,000 raise. Now that like violates every HR policy in the book. You can't be anecdotal about these things. But I do need to be alert about people's life stages, both pastorally and aware as a leader. Okay, if this person's completing his PhD in six months, well, that 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 may be a natural inflection point for him to greater institutional responsibility here. Or yeah. it's it's for many people, as an example, that's an opportunity where they tend to kind of pause and reflect on their life. And if we value their service here, and we need to be thinking about that, aware of that, that we might want to, you know, challenge them in new ways here, so they are they have a yes and amen in their heart about kind of engaging here, you know, for another season of life. So I think you need to be aware of that. I mean, the power of conversations, I, um, I, I, you know, I'll be brief here, but we had a little student discipline issue here a couple weeks ago on campus, nothing major, very, very small, but I know the student and I think highly of him. And, um, I could tell from a distance and that I became aware of the situation. I knew he would be inclined to overly beat himself up about it. Hmm. And uh, I didn't want to call him in my office and you know, have, have my office email him about meeting with the president three days later, like him live in torment for three days waiting on it. So I saw it in, instead to um, kind of strategically bump into him. Mm. And, and we had probably a 10 minute conversation in my office. And I can tell it just meant the world to him for me to reassure him 
about God's grace in his life, about how he can and should learn from this little episode about, I, I told him about another Christian leader I know who committed the exact same, um, I'll call it faux pas, or, or I guess I can call it sin, but I don't want to overstate it. It wasn't like some, you know, pornography or some, some big issue that's big gnarly, but something that he shouldn't have done. And I said, let me tell you about how I saw that leader deal with that about yeah. 10 years ago. And it was a blip in their life, but God used it for good. And let me encourage you how you should be thinking about it. And it just, man, I could tell it meant so much to him, both as he responded to me in that meeting and then followed up with me a couple days later. And so, again, I'm not perfect. I, I'm, I'm far from perfect. And I overlook, no doubt, many opportunities to, to similarly encourage someone. But those moments can be insignificant to me, 10 minutes of my time. It can be transformative for that person. Yeah. Now, the intentionality that even as you're saying there is, is really great to hear. Well, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are just short one minute answers. And we're going to get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Yeah, so I, I, I get up early. Um, my alarm is set to go off. Um, and I don't, I don't have like a gong alarm. I have like the light comes on slowly <laughs> and the birds will start to chirp, uh, okay. with a greater volume if I don't give up. So that's set to start awaking me like at five forty-five. but I like to just naturally wake up before that's my goal. And, uh, so I usually get up before then just kind of naturally. Um, I like to, I like to have my Bible reading devotion journaling time first over coffee. And then I, I like to uh, exercise right after that. And then depending upon my day, I, I like to do basically my thought work in the mornings, writing, reading, planning, project work, and then kind of after kind of afternoons are kind of FaceTime meetings and stuff. And, you know, I travel a lot. No day's the same as the day before. But then that would lead to, uh, you know, home for dinner, uh, predictably with me and my wife and all of our kids as we kind of jointly plan to converge together for that. Uh, an evening walk with my wife and uh, family time in the evening, whether it's outside talking or throwing the football in the yard or maybe watching a ball game on TV together. Um, and then it's kind of winding down and reading at night before I go to bed. Would, would love to, um, you know, be kind of in the winding down stage before 10 and uh, sometimes, you know, more like nine, not, not asleep, but winding down. Um, and usually the way it works is where our, our house is situated every night. Like I can be in bed, not reading, but kind of sitting in bed or, or not sleeping, but sitting in bed, reading a book. And I still got two, three, four, sometimes five kids kind of milling around. So kind of the books open and we're all kind of like segueing towards bed for some yeah. kids. That's like bed in 10 minutes. Others is bed in an hour and a half. And it's kind of like, you know, it's conversations, it's books open. It, it's just kind of time together. And what I mm. found is just getting the people I love in the room together is a victory. Mm. And you don't even have to be too scripted beyond that. It doesn't have to be, we're going to do Scrabble for 30 minutes and then 20 minute devotion, the 10 minute prayer, you know, just getting people in the room together and kind of letting good things happen. Yeah. What is your favorite personality test? I, I, I honestly, I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to, I'm going to just going to fail you on this one. I don't know. Hey, that's great. I've never really, and I don't like to have a conviction or like I'm opposed to yeah. I really don't. And I've dabbled with it before, but I've, I've never had, I've never been able to easily place myself within those. And I always want to like identify with all the marks, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, you're so like, I, I can I, see I, myself in all of these. Yeah. Even the Enneagram, I played with the diamond tails. Like, man, I just like, I see myself in like this one and this one and kind of that one and put it on the day of the week. And, <laughs> So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like conviction opposed to, I know you have yeah. like some people Enneagram or like some people have like a cult, you know, oh, cult yeah, for sure. others for are sure. like the opposite. It's of the devil. And I'm just kind of a little ambivalent about it. 
Yeah, that's totally, that's totally fair. What is an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Um, I intuitively have a bias towards efficiency in most everything I do. Hmm. And I don't even think about it, but I'm always like, okay, if I do this, 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 and this, and I can, I can do this while I'm brushing my teeth and do that while I'm shaving and do that while, and so I just kind of back of my mind, I'm always churning towards efficiency. And I think that enables me to be more productive, which I enjoy being productive. And I think that helps me to, um, to, to help move the institution forward in productive ways. Hmm. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Uh, maybe the Carl Truman book on the, um, the rise of the modern self. Um, man, I tell you, I wish I were, I'm in my seminary office recording this kind of my reading books are stacked in my home office. I could glance and tell you, I mean, I've read, you know, over the weekend, I read um, the new book out on Churchill and son about Winston and Randall mm-hmm. Churchill. Again, that, that wasn't like the most profound book, but to me, again, I'm a Churchill fanatic, but the big takeaway was basically Churchill's own failure as a father. Mm. And Randolph's failures as a son. And so again, here we're back to, it's not a leadership book. It's not a fatherhood book, but man, there's, there's like the takeaway is don't do these things as a dad. Yeah. Do these things as a dad. Don't do this or cultivate this or permit this. And my Mm. sons do cultivate and permit these things in my sons. All right. Last question. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? This is not original to me, but this is so true. You will be, you will tend to under, you will tend to overestimate what can be done in one year, but underestimate what can be done in five. Mm. David Dockery shared that word of counsel with me when I came to Midwestern. And let me tell you, I mean, it is so true. The first year you're hoping there's so much more, but really success is probably going to be if you can just assemble a team and a few other basic matters, get yourself settled kids in school. Yeah. But my, if God blesses and you stay on it and you hustle and you're faithful, you'll be blown away by what can happen at five. And that is so true here. I mean, the first year it was exhilarating. There was so much more building plans and building a team than harnessing a team and realizing fulfillment of those plans. But five years blown away, by all God did. And now that I'm closing on 10, absolutely stunned and look i'm a big dreamer my guys will tell you i don't you know i don't i don't i don't build small goals make small plans i mean they, they can be big and bold but we are blown yeah. away how god has surpassed even those big and bold plans man i love to hear that well dr allen thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and thank you for listening we hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership if it has please head on over to itunes and leave us a rating and review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast and we'll see you next week thank you chandler god bless